Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a challenging message on living generously. Do we have a income problem or do we have a spending problem? And is, I'm sorry, but my Netflix ate up all the money going to work when you stand before God. If I'm going to be rich toward heaven, and if that rich laying that foundation is dependent upon me being generous in my life, I must live below my means. On their deathbed, no one wishes for more possessions. Instead, they regret chasing wealth rather than focusing on what truly matters. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor and Bible Teacher at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. I'm Tim Svoboda. Today, Pastor Steve shares a lesson about the true treasures of life, reminding us that it's the impact we've made on others that holds true value in the end. You can listen online at thejourney.fm. Here's Pastor Steve concluding a message titled, Wanted, A Generous Life. Tonight, what I want to do is I just want to lay out a simple portrait of a generous life. The kind of life that when you're dead, you will be glad that you lived. What does that look like and how do we get there? And our text tonight is 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. Let me just read this to you, and right away you're going to see why I have selected this for uh, the message tonight. Here's what it says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, Paul says here that there are two things that the richer to not do. There's one thing that they should do, and if they do the one thing, there are four things that they're going to want to do. And the first thing he says is that they're not to be haughty. Now, this, of course, is the great temptation for anybody who has money, is to think that because I have have a lot of money, I must be worth more than people who do not have as much money. So here's the thing that Paul is saying. Don't think of yourself as rich being worth more than anybody else. Because who are we in Christ, after all? All of us, rich, poor, we are, we are sinners saved by grace. So don't be haughty. The second thing he says here is in regards to hope, that the rich are not to put their hope in their wealth. So this is the other great temptation that those that have money struggle with, is to want to trust what that money subconsciously promises to us. It's a in-this-world promise that we can hope in instead of God. I can buy health. I can, I can, I can, I can buy uh, shelter. I can buy warmth and clothing. Money offers all of these things apart from God. And of course, all of these things are a lie. That's why he says, tell the rich not to put their hopes in the uncertainty of riches. 
Money promises that, but it doesn't deliver. So those are the two things that rich Christians must not do. Now, there's one thing that rich Christians must do, and it's the next thing I want to talk with you about. Don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God. God gives us our, the things that we have, the resources that we have, and the bounty of this world to be enjoyed. Don't feel bad when you are enjoying something that God has given to you as a gift. We see the balance of it here. Enjoy them, but don't live for them. So what, what does trusting in God, not my money, look like? And I'm not even going to really describe these too quickly, or too, more than just to mention them. To do good? To do good a lot? That's what it means to be rich in good deeds? To be rich in them. It's a lifestyle. To be generous. And how often are we to be generous? Well, at Thanksgiving and at Christmas and Easter. No. Eager to share, it says. Do that a lot. And the wonderful promise that we find here is that by living this way, the rich can gain the thing that keeping our riches can never provide. You see it there in verse 19. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Now here, this is, this is so wonderful. Here's how he ends this little section. He says this. So that they, the rich, may take hold of that which is truly life. The generous life, the self-giving life, is real living. There is more joy, there is more gladness, there is more human life as God intended it in the giving of ourselves than the keeping for ourselves can ever provide. And there's a place for work, and there's a place for gaining wealth, and I'm not speaking against those things, but they have to be in their proper place. Real living is measured in our giving, our love. Here's how Jesus said it, Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There are more blessings that come in the giving of ourselves than the receiving or the keeping can ever provide and so this is our challenge whenever we talk about this is to shed this materialistic mindset because it's just preached at us every day. It's the American way. It's the American dream is to shed that mindset and to embrace what the Bible is talking about here. Materialistic people hate verses like this. Materialistic people hate messages on giving. I said this last week. When Jesus talked about it, and he talked about it money all the time, 2,000 years ago, they got squirmy and uncomfortable. You want to know why? Because they love their money. And people who love money hate messages on money. little heart check there, perhaps tonight. What would change in your life if you really believed that the generous giving life was the path to real living? What would change? What would change in your schedule? What would change in your checkbook? What would change in the way that you steward your resources? Paul here says, listen, tell the rich to do this because this is real life. This is the best life to live, is the life of generosity. All right, so there's my brief exposition. And I just want to build off of that and last week and and in my final comments here to just sketch out for you what does, what does a generous life look like and how do we get there, okay? And I got four qualities of a generous life. And these would be great to write down, to meditate on. 
Because they're, they're just some basics. I don't think you can ignore any of these and live a generous life. And as we're saying, the generous life is the best life. So, and the one that pleases the Lord. Number one is simplicity in life. Simplicity in life. Here's what I mean by this. An eternal perspective on my lifestyle, which produces the discipline to live below my means. <gasps> Now, this is heresy, I know, in the American culture, but to be generous with your money assumes that you have money to be generous with. And the only way to have money that you will be generous with is to live under what your income is. Now, this is basic math, but it's also very un-American because in America, it is assumed that you will live at your standard of income or above your standard of income. And if you can't do that, you will simply borrow the money to appear that you have more than you do. It's assumed that if you, if you have it, you will flaunt it, and that you will live uh, to match your, your income. And the simple fact of the matter is, if we do that, there's little ability to give. So write it down. If I'm going to be rich toward heaven... And if that rich, laying that foundation is dependent upon me being generous in my life, I must live below my means. Period. Now, in order to get there, there is one very simple practice that we need to learn. I'd like you to practice this with me. Okay? It's a very simple word. Some of you, it was the first word you ever said in your life. No. Let's practice that together. One, two, three. No. Now, by that, here's what I mean. To say no to yourself with legitimate things that you might even be able to afford. I think we can afford this. I think we can swing it. I can figure it out. I think I, the money, we barely, but we can do it. It's not hard, right? It's not hard. The discipline to say no to things. Because simplicity, it's a kind of lifestyle. It's a kind of mindset. It's a coupon clipping, savvy negotiating, responsibly saving, money conscious, but not money loving kind of lifestyle. Now, lots of people live this way that don't know the Lord, don't love the Lord. Okay? It's just smart. But our motivation for doing this is different. We're not doing this simply to accumulate wealth. We're doing this so that we can create in our life the ability to be generous and to give. I know full well that for some people even talking about this, they're like, sorry, I can't do that. After my mortgage payment, my car payment, my utility payment, my payments on my credit cards, my cell phone and my data plan payments, my cable TV payments, my high-speed internet home payments, my health club payments, my Netflix payments, my beauty salon, my NFL TV package, I'm sorry, I just don't have anything to give to God. Do we have a income problem? Or do we have a spending problem? And is, I'm sorry, but my Netflix ate up all the money going to work when you stand before God. Not when you're standing next to all our brothers and sisters who have lived on nothing, many of them, and yet who found a way to be generous. 
I think for many of us, our problem is really self-control and a desire to sort of keep up with the Joneses and to put out an appearance that I am this. I'm living at this level. Here's what John Wesley said. I judge all things only by the price that they shall gain in eternity. As your pastor, I want to say this. Never make a financial decision without a significant one, without asking the question, how will this impact our ability to be generous for the Lord? Ask that question before you buy the house, the car, the big ticket item, whatever it is. Because what you're doing then is you're saying, how will this impact my eternity? How will this impact my account for my life? And you say, well, why is that so important? Here's why it's important. You know what the national statistic is for evangelical Christians? The average evangelical Christian gives 2.6% of their income, gives. That's what it represents. And this is the richest Christian, this is the richest church in the history of the church, is the American evangelical church. Here's what God says. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that they may be food in my house. I want you to look at that carefully. You know what that's saying? Not giving in the eyes of God is robbing him. We have thieves in the church. And they take the money, and they buy the third luxury little car that they can run around in the summertime with the top down but then they don't have anything to give to God. You don't want to stand before God that way, okay? God is not honored when he is the last thing on the priority list. Where should God be on the priority list? What do you think? 10, 20, somewhere in there? What do you think? Number one, got very quiet in here. Of course, number one. Where else should he be? Now, here's the thing. There's complexities to this, and we're all going to come to different conclusions on this, and we need to be a church that shows grace to each other. But here's the thing. Eternity will show which of us lived wisely. It will reveal it, and what a day that will be. Secondly, is to view everything as God's. Seems to me this is the key to generosity. If I view what I have as mine, then I am not going to be too excited to give it away. When I view what I have as God's, now it's not such a big deal. We all know this. How hard is it to spend other people's money? You see this in kids, don't you? Here, daddy gives you $5. Go spend it how you want, you know, or, or go take it. They'll, they'll spend $5 and one cent, you know, just they'll max it out. But then you want them to spend their own money out of their piggy bank? No way. <laughs> The primary difference between a generous giver and a non-generous giver is that a generous giver realizes that it's not his money. It's not his car. It's not his house. These are all the Lord's. This is Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This realization has is, is been described as a kind of second conversion. When I am, when I am saved to the reality uh, and saved from the tyranny of my money and my possessions, it's not my stuff. You don't get to keep it anyway. You're going to die and give it away. Since it's not your thing, then how much easier is that to be generous in the giving of it to the needs of the poor or the community or the church or whatever it might be? Massive difference when it's not our stuff. Now I don't have to wince when I write a check to God 
okay. Ever do that? Kind of doing this out of duty. I know he's speaking on giving this weekend, so I better, you know, rise to the challenge. But oh, what I could do with this. That's when I'm looking at that as being mine. But when that's God's, you do with this as you want, Lord, it's all yours anyway. What a difference that makes. Third is to give generously to God's work. Now, here's what happens whenever we talk about this is that people will say, well, tell me what generous is. Give me a number. Pastor Steve, I want a number. Just fill in the blank. Okay, now here's the problem with that. The Bible doesn't give us a number. Doesn't give us a number. Now, there is a kind of redemptive principle that you maybe have heard of is known as a tithe. And tithe is simply the Hebrew word for tenth. So, uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's subtly affirmed by Jesus in the New Testament. And the New Testament certainly doesn't set it aside. But the New Testament goes beyond that tenth principle to talk about grace giving. Now, one more word on the tenth. I think the tenth can be helpful for new believers who are just getting going and kind of like, okay, how do I, you know, sort of the training wheels of giving. How do I get going? Or for children, I remember growing up in my own family, I would get a dollar a week for my allowance. Yes, children, a dollar. <laughs> and you know what? On top of that, I had to give a dime every Sunday to the offering plate. So a tenth and a tithing, I think, is a great discipleship principle starting off, kind of how do I basically begin to look at this. But the problem is when you pick a number like 10%, legalistic people and materialistic people, they want to stop there. They go, okay, well, they're, okay, now I'm good. Okay, I've done the thing, and now the rest is mine. No, it's all God's, okay? It's all God's. So don't hear from me saying some kind of a percentage thing. I've rarely heard anyone argue against the tithe because they want to give more than a tithe. The people that argue against it are always trying to find a reason that it's okay to give less than that. And to me, that's, again, money reveals the heart. Why do I look at it that way? The New Testament has a higher calling. Just one very quick passage in 2 Corinthians 8. Here's the kind of giving that the New Testament talks about and commends. Overflow of generosity, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. Excel in the grace of giving, verse 7. Beyond their means, these are the Macedonian people, they gave beyond their ability to give. Okay, I don't like the tithe. Well, give beyond your ability to give. Well, I think maybe the tithe will be fine. Begging for the opportunity to give. Can we take another offering? Ever hear that in a church service? Let's do it again. Now, that would be a remarkable heart of giving and generosity, don't you think? That's what he's talking about here. They weren't trying to just get by. Give me a number. Just want to know the minimum. Which really leads to the third or the fourth principle, which is that God has my heart when I give with gladness. God is not honored by our duty giving. Now, sometimes our duty gets us over humps of sinful thinking, but he's not honored when we do it out of some obligation. He wants our hearts. Tonight, a friend, I can tell you, God, God's not looking for your money. He wants your heart. But since those two things always go together, you can't give him one without the other. Here's the goal, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God loves a cheerful giver. 
cheerful, glad about it, happy to have a two-part series on giving. I love that subject. I wish it was longer. Cheerful, happy, eager to do good. Another opportunity to lay up treasure in heaven, a sure foundation. Let me ask this question. Why is it so hard to be cheerful in giving to God? The answer is because we love our stuff so much. If we didn't love it, it'd be no big deal to give it away. And this is our challenge. It comes to, it's a heart issue, friends, and that's where I want to focus this. It comes down to the heart. If I can see my possessions from the perspective of eternity, to see them not as my stuff, but as God's stuff, that I can't keep it, but by giving it, I can send it ahead. And that whatever I give to God, he promises to ritually reward me in eternity. And when I think about how generous God has been to me in the giving of Christ himself, his son, and how generous Christ was in the giving to me of his life, from that perspective, it's not hard to get a wee little bit happy about giving back to God. Look at what he has done for me. And what happens is, as the love of God gets into our heart, it's like a weed killer or weed puller. It pulls up the weeds of the love of money that just reside within us in our flesh and our desires to be in control of our own future and our desires to find our identity and the things that this material world has to offer. When the love of God through the gospel and through the cross get into the heart of a man or a woman, it pulls out the love of money. And now I have this desire and willingness to give to God whatever he calls me to give and to do that with gladness. So why not ask God to help us as a congregation in this? To help each of us individually. You know, right now, it's, this, is, this is one of these sort of heart things. You kind of go, well, <clears throat> I mean, let's have those small group discussions after this. Well, no, we need to go. It gets uncomfortable, isn't it? And it's, it proves the point where your heart is your treasure will be also. Our money is so personal to us. We feel so, so somehow it's just right down to the heart level whenever we talk about it. But this is why it is a wonderful opportunity for the Spirit of God to do his sanctifying work and to make us like Christ who gave it all up, did he not? So these are the realities that get our grip off of our money and things, loosen them so that we can live the life that is really life, the generous life, the life that gives, and the life that the Lord delights in. Indeed, the life characterized by generosity is the life that both gives and garners the delight of God. You're listening to The Journey and the conclusion of a message titled, Wanted, A Generous Life. If you'd like to replay it or share it with a friend, visit us online at thejourney.fm. And while you're there, look for our recommended Bible study plan that complements our study on generosity. Thejourney.fm is also where you can find our complete message archive. Shoot us an email, discover relevant studies, or connect with our online community. Again, that's thejourney.fm. Well, here at The Journey, our goal is to guide you in your faith journey towards the unchanging truth found in God's Word. That's why each day on the radio and internet, we take our listeners into the depth of Scripture while making the truths easy to understand and applicable to daily life. But as a listener-supported program, none of this would be possible without you. 
The journey relies in part on the financial gift of generous friends like you. That allows us to share the truth of the gospel to listeners all around the country. So would you join hands with us in this mission today? You can call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. And when you give today, we'll say thank you by sending you a book by best-selling author Randy Alcorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. And in it, Alcorn helps us unlock the secret of joyful giving. If you desire a fuller and satisfying life, discover how the joy of giving can make your life richer starting today. Request your copy of The Treasure Principle by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. Well, that's all our time for today. I'm Tim Svoboda. Be sure to join us again tomorrow when Pastor Steve shares another message from his series all about living a generous life. That's Friday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.